Welcome to Bethel Cleveland's Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information on this podcast and other resources, please go to BethelCleveland.com. sees potential in the golden people and pulls it out. So that that song was a result of Jerry just telling me, I think there might be something more there. And then had the opportunity to finish it with my friend Meredith Malden. And it's, I love the song. Hope you like it too. All right, let me pull up my notes. This is cool. I've never, I've spoken here before, but I think we were close and the room was empty. So, you know, that was really fun. That was an interesting first go. I'm really excited you're here, you know. You can laugh, you can talk, and move around. That's all good for me. So let's get right to it, because I have 30 pages of notes. So you guys cool staying here till like 2? Is that okay? No? Okay. <laughs> I'm kidding. Kind of. All right. Um, so we're diving back into Pastor Steve's sermon series. As you can see, it's Spiritual Rhythms, Thriving in Culture Storms. How many feel like we might be in a little bit of a culture storm right now? Just a little bit. There's a lot going on. Well, the spiritual discipline that I want to talk to you about today is how, how can I live in a spiritual rhythm of worship that can strengthen my connection with the presence of God, change my life, and by change my life, I mean begin to transform the way that we actually live our day-to-day. And that always starts where? Right in your brain, right? And cause, like, dreams and prophetic words to become a reality. So... How many of you love worship? You love to be in a worship service. You love it. You might not love every worship service, but you love worship. And you love when the presence of God is in the room. Because there's nothing like it, right? When his presence shows up, we feel the evidence in our body. We feel it in our spirit. It is a, a, a triune experience of your soul, your spirit, and your mind. You're experiencing God on a great level when you worship. So I wanted to kind of highlight some of the things that maybe weren't, known yet, at least in paper, back in biblical times, about what's happening in your body during worship, because there's a lot of really cool things that have recently come to light about what happens when we worship. So it's all right with you. I'm going to read you a few. So did you know that secular science is, is kind of starting to propose that we are wired to God? That is, our brains have been designed to like communicate with God. Corporate worship, you're going to love this. And regular church attendance, that's all of you here in the room today. It's associated with 30 to 35% reduction in the likelihood of death and stroke. So you're already, you're here this morning. I know it was a sacrifice. It was cold. The hour change has happened. You're probably feeling a little bit tired because it's technically 10 10 o'clock now, right? Instead of 9, 11, I mean. But you're already going to have less likely chance of dying and stroke, which is amazing. And get this, it has been found that when people sing together in worship to God, like as in a choir, they've done tests on this, that, it, it, that there's like effects on the heart, that the heartbeats actually synchronize in the room. So in other words, when God is really moving and you hear the rhythm and the beat, they did this study. They said that the room, everyone's heartbeat got onto the same rhythm. It was like, I don't know, like, what is that scripture? I think God might have said it, that our hearts beat as one. So he kind of knew what he was talking about when he, was, when he invented worship and music. Because I want you to think about this. When it comes to worship and it comes to the throne of God, what did he choose to surround himself with? 
I mean, I want you to think about that for a minute because he could have had anything he wanted. He's God. For all of eternity, he could have put whatever he wanted around the throne closest to him, and he chose worship. He didn't have, no offense, he didn't have a bunch of accountants balancing their checkbooks around the throne. He didn't, I mean, he didn't even have chefs or cooks in the kitchen, right? He had worship, music. Why do you think that is? Why is worship something that is so valued by the creator that he chooses to have it close to him at all times? All times must be pretty important. So let, let me give you another uh, mind-blowing fact here. Now, just so you know, I'm not just spouting off stuff from, like, Wikipedia. This is um, a study by the University of Miami on the progress of AIDS by Dr. Gail Ironson. They found in their study that turning to God rather than rejecting him appears to boost your immune system and stave off the disease AIDS nearly five times as effectively. Did you hear me? This is during the AIDS pandemic when nobody knew um, what, was, what this disease was and there wasn't treatment for it. It was a very scary time in our history, right? But, but this doctor said that they were five times more likely to fight off the disease when they were accepting God. Get this, if you regularly worship, you're gonna change. How many of you are a little stressed? Anybody, you don't have to admit it. It's okay. You don't have to wave your hands. I understand we're all a little stressed these days from time to time, right? Um, well, people who worship experience less stress and lower blood pressure. Now I'm going to get really deep. Their prefrontal cortex, this is the part of the brain that's associated with focus and attention. It becomes more active over time, helping you to avoid distraction and to live more intentionally. And I think in like this day and age, right, where we are so distracted and on information overload all the time, being in the presence of God will help you focus and be more intentional with your life. Last study, I promise. So researchers at the University of Pennsylvania, they took brain images of five women while they were speaking in tongues. How many have spoken in tongues before? You ever feel like sometimes it's autopilot, you're speaking in tongues, like, I don't know what I'm saying. It feels good. I think I can, I can tell something's happening, but I don't fully understand. Well, they found that when people spoke in tongues, that their frontal lobes, this is, this is the thinking part of your brain, the willful part of the brain. This is, um, it controls what you do. It was silent. And as were the language centers. The regions involved in maintaining self-consciousness were active, so your brain's up. It's working. It's running. They're communicating audibly in tongues, but the parts of the brain that light up when you communicate ideas were gone. It's almost like the doctors described it like as almost as if they were communicating on a different plane or a different frequency. It was almost as if, I don't know, maybe they have a spirit Maybe there's something happening in their spirit. Because you were made in three parts. You have your body, your soul, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions, and your spirit. And worship activates that piece of eternity in you called a spirit so that you can speak in tongues and you can communicate. Like it says in 1 Corinthians 14, 2, your body, your soul. When someone speaks in tongues, no one understands a word he says because he's not speaking to people, but to God and speaking intimate mysteries in the spirit. 
Romans 8, 26 says, Now in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we should. Do you ever feel like you don't know how to pray what you should? Am I alone in this room? Sometimes it feels like you just don't even know what to say. And that's why he gives us that gift of the Spirit because the Spirit himself, it says, intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So when we worship and we're fully engaged, we are connecting on a level that that our spirit is shining because our brains get quiet. And I don't think that's a bad thing from time to time, right? There's a lot of clutter, sometimes a lot of baggage. Sometimes we bring that into our worship sets and we spend the first 30 minutes, right, waiting for that baggage to kind of cast it off to the side so we get into the posture and say, okay, I'm ready now. Worship. That's why you think the last song's the best song. <laughs> it takes a minute to get in there. Am I, am I pulling the curtain back? Is that Okay. <laughs> I know, I get it. You just came in. You're like, my kids are in the back seat. They just spilled their breakfast everywhere. We're running 15 minutes late. I'm walking in. I'm dropping them off. But when you can get into that posture and you feel that presence of God, it's amazing. So how can we create a spiritual rhythm of worship? Because you know that building a atmosphere of worship in your life right now, it's countercultural. We are plugged in all the time, overstimulated, informationally overloaded, we are always connected. We are always entertained. How many of you feel like if there's even a dead spot in your, in your day, I'll, I'll, I'll highlight my, my children. By the way, my children are brilliant. They are the most amazing children in the world, in my opinion. I think God might agree with me, no offense. But um, I love your kids too. I promise. But anyways, my kids, we had this revelation that in the back seat, they always ask for a phone or something to do in the car. And we, when we got concerned, like, okay, so are we at the point right now where kids can't even sit in a car ride and look out the window anymore without wanting a screen in front of their face? Because we're that informationally stimulated. Did you know that when you get a text message or you get a like on a Facebook or Instagram page, like picture, dopamine gets released. It's literally a drug. I want you to try, do this experiment for me. This isn't really spiritual, but I want you to try it later today. When you get your next text message, I want you to ignore it for 30 minutes. Just to try. Just to try. I guarantee you it will be like that child who was told he could have two marshmallows if he didn't eat the first one. Did you see that experiment? And he's like licking the marshmallow. It's going to be hard. You might even have phantom text leg. Does that ever happen to you? Your phone's not in your pocket, but it vibrates like a text message is there? Yes, that's the thing. For real. Another, another point to bring out, this is not spiritual and it's off my notes, but just so you know, there's also a new thing called a text finger. It's, how, it's where you hold your, your phone with your hand and hold it up to text. Your fingers are starting to, be, to change shape. It's a thing. It's really happening. That's how plugged in we are. So how can, if we're trying to build a, a culture of worship, it is, it's literally the opposite of what we're living in because spiritual rhythms of worship require us to pull away and to quiet the noise and to hear God. 
If you look back into the Old Testament in Kings, Elijah was hiding from Jezebel. He had had the worst um, time of his life. He was hiding in the cave and, and he wasn't sure how the story was gonna turn out. But if you read that story, it says that the Lord shook the mountain. A strong wind came and shook the mountain, but the Lord wasn't in the wind. And then an earthquake came, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And then there was a fire and he wasn't there either. But in a gentle blowing breeze, the voice spoke. He comes in a gentle breeze. He speaks to us in the whisper. True worship isn't just made like only for corporate musical expression or gathering. You're a spiritual being. You're made to exist in the presence of God always, always connected there. I wrote this definition because I was trying to write down a definition of worship and just all of the ones online just were terrible. So the Hebrew word, when you break it down, is gift, offering, sacrifice, tribute. But for me, this is just Jay's opinion. This is Jay's dictionary. If you disagree, I, I accept that. But I don't think you will. Worship is our response of adoration and love to his presence. Worship is our flow of connection with his spirit. It is gratitude. It is praise. It is love. Worship is the love from our spirit that flows in connection with him. So music, dancing, painting, how many of you feel like you're not artistic in this room? You don't really have any of those things. It's probably a few hands. Those are expressions of worship, but not worship itself. So what is your rhythm? How do you express your worship to him? I want you to think about this because I think a lot of times, I mean, Pastor Steve is incredible at making scripture and, and daily godly living ap applicable to our daily lives. But when I was growing up, it felt like a lot of times, this is new for me, this culture, this atmosphere is new. When I was growing up, I felt like there was a disconnect between what was being communicated and what was being lived out in everyday life. I would hear it, it would move me. I'd stand up out of my chair, I'd raise my hands because I could feel the presence of God on it. But when I left that day, I found myself always thinking, I mean, I felt the presence of God, but I don't remember what he said. Have you ever left a room and not know what the sermon was? Yep, you have. You have. Today's worship. Someone asks, worship. <laughs> but let's talk about the practicals. How do you encounter God? I want you to do me a favor. All over the room, close your eyes. This is not a prayer time. I'm not calling for salvation. Not yet. Um... I want you to think about your most powerful encounter that you have ever experienced with God. Picture it. I want you to start to think about all of your senses. What did it smell like? What did you see? What did you hear? What was happening in your body at that time? What did it feel like? Dig into that moment. What were you doing? Were you, were you singing? Were you dancing? Raising your hands? Probably crying, some of you. Don't be ashamed. I'm a crier. Presence of God hits. I cry. People think something's wrong with me. Nothing's wrong. It's just, you know, how, how it affects me. You're picturing that encounter? Okay. 
You can open your eyes. That, those are clues. Those are clues not to recreate and make like a golden calf out of a moment from your past, but those are clues. How do I encounter and experience God in a practical, real way? How do I facilitate that in my everyday life? Not something that only happens when I step in the doors of the church with, with a worship team or a pastor who's prepared and facilitated an atmosphere for me, but how do I create that in my own life? For some of you, that might just be as easy as changing up your Spotify playlist on your way to work. It might be just as easy as, as turning off that show at night and pulling out your Bible instead. But worship is in the here and now. One of my favorite quotes just popped back into my mind. It's from C.S. Lewis. He said that the present is where time touches eternity. So right here, right now, breathing air into your lungs, your heart beating. This is your moment. This is your moment to encounter God because you can look at the past and see his fingerprints all over it. And you can look to the future and hope and have prophetic promises that are pointing where you're going, but you cannot touch him in the past and you cannot touch him in the future. You only can touch him right here in the right now because the present is where time touches eternity. So as you're sitting in this chair this morning, the presence of God is here and wanting to introduce himself in a fresh new way so that you can encounter him in a way that'll translate into action in your life. I know, I know for a lot of my life, still sometimes I feel like I've had dreams in my heart that were on pause that I just assumed were for the future. And so I planned for them and I'd plug away and I'd try to work as hard as I could at what I was doing. But man, if you knew what God had in front of you, if you knew the weight of, I'm not trying to put a weight on you, I'm sorry, but the weight of responsibility, because think about it, your, your dreams, God put them in your heart. So your dreams for the kingdom expanding his message, I want you to think about the lives that are hinging on your yes. It might seem silly, but when I was writing Matchless, I was hunched over in a mop sink bucket, wiping the bathroom floors at Starbucks. And this melody came into my mind, matchless, no lyrics, just matchless. That was it. Just a 15 second little clip. And then I sat on my couch for three months while my kids played and I rewrote those verses over and over and over again until I felt like the weight had hit it and it was, it was done. One of the uh, lyrics from the song, I just wanna, I know that you probably all know it because we did it 40 times last year. But my favorite lyric of the whole song from Matchless was in the verse that talks about the resurrection. It says, the morning came within the tomb. Your nail-pierced hands began to move. Do you want to know what the original line was after that? It was, the angels danced around the throne, giving glory to you alone. But I rewrote it over and over and over again until one morning, the word humanity popped into my mind. And I thought, the curse that bound humanity broke at the sound of your heart beat. And it was done. <laughs> and it was done. But it was created in a moment of stewardship here. I wasn't, I was trying to create a culture of worship in my life that didn't really make sense because I was trying to clean bathrooms and serve coffee and yet the melodies were swirling over. Do you know that your blessing and your dreams are in a holding pattern over your life right now? Do you know what a holding pattern is? It's when a plane can't land and it's circling the, the uh, landing pad, I think it's called. 
the runway, <laughs> the runway, there it is. <laughs> and it's circling and it's trying to find a place to land. But we so often have so much clutter, so many other vehicles in the way that we don't even realize that that atmosphere and culture of worship, what, what all those promises that'll be released in his presence, released with that connection, it's in a holding pattern over your head. It's there right now this morning. All those dreams that you think are dead and buried and never coming back, they're not dead. They're actually circling your house just waiting for us to say, can I make the space? Can I make the room in my life for a culture and a rhythm of worship? Because worship is everything. Did you know that your worship, the songs you create and the way that you express your love for God through your talents and gifts are critically important to your future generations and the culture that you live in? You... Hand on your chest, do it. I have to, I can't. I was a youth pastor for seven years. I have so many activations, I'm so sorry. Just say, you are, you, I am the answer. Say, I am the answer. That's right, say it again, I am the answer. You are the answer to what God wants to release on the earth. Whatever your passion is inside of you, whatever your gifts, whether you're a singer, writer, painter, connector, producer, whatever you carry, whatever talent, it can become an expression of worship. Did you know that so much of true worship is rooted in declaring God's story over our lives? Worship is stirred in our hearts as a response to when we remember what God has done. Worship then triggers our heart to allow faith to rise up to such levels that it can pull a future promise into reality. It's like Jesus in the wedding of Canaan. Um, me and my wife, Ashley, we were just watching The Chosen again. How many of you guys like The Chosen? Amazing. Amazing, right? I love it. We were watching it, and it was, it was the, the wine of the wedding, and they had run out. And you know, when you read that in the Bible, you can dig into some commentaries that sort of explain the culture, but to see it played out in the panic of the people who were serving the wine and the, the embarrassment of the family, this was a high-pressure stake situation. This would have been humiliating. I mean, think about this. The weddings, they went on for like a week. That's a lot of wine. That's a lot of food, right? And so... They, they ran out, and um, Mary comes up to Jesus, and she says, they have no wine. And they don't say this in The Chosen, but they do in the Bible. You know what he tells her? Woman, what does that have to do with me? Would you say that to your mother? I wouldn't. Woman, what does that have to do with me? My time has not yet come. And you know what she did? She didn't go, Jesus. She, like, she walked away, and she went to the servants, and she was like, do whatever he tells you to do. And that's when they filled the ceremonial chambers with all the ritual water, and, and the miracle unfolds as you see. So my question is this. Is it possible that if you have enough faith that you can pull something that was meant for your future, that you can pull something that was meant for five years down the road, but that your faith can pull it into the present, that if you were to declare in faith and alignment with who God is, that maybe he would bring it a few years earlier in your life? Or maybe he's just waiting on you for that. Come on, I feel like I'm talking to somebody this morning. Your story is more than a collection of your life experiences. When you identify God's involvement and closeness throughout your whole existence, 
I want you to think about that because when, when, when Kim Snyder does her Freedom Weekends, she takes people through um, an event that she says is a traumatic event. You're supposed to, you're, you're at this weekend to be delivered and to have freedom released in your life. So you go into the root of where your trauma is and she says, I want you to picture it and relive it right now. She says, now look in the room and see where Jesus is. Did you know? Did you know that if you look into your past and you identify where he was, then your story isn't a story anymore. It becomes a testimony. And it says in Revelations 12, 11, that they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their what? Their testimony. There's power in your story. But where are the storytellers and the artists who are revealing Christ in a relevant way? I want to make a bold suggestion to you today that Jesus following storytellers are God's modern day prophets of this generation. Daniel Coyle, this is a long quote, get, get comfortable, sit down, but it's a great quote. I want you to hear it. It says, um, we tend to use the word story casually as if stories and narratives were ephemeral decorations for some unchanging underlying reality. The deeper neurological truth is that stories do not cloak reality, but create it, triggering cascades of perception and motivation, and the proof is in the brain scans. When we hear a fact, a few isolated areas of our brain light up, translating words and meanings. But when we hear a story, our brains light up like Las Vegas, tracing the chains of cause and effect, meaning. Stories aren't, they're not just stories. They're the best invention ever created for delivering mental models that drive behavior. Did you know that before any other identity, God revealed himself as a creator and a storyteller who had the power to create worlds with his words? It says in Psalm 22:3, you're holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. God wants to inhabit our creation like he inhabits our praises. Think about that. He inhabits his creation, doesn't he? He went into the dirt and he shaped and he formed a man and he breathed his breath into it. He essentially put his creativity and his spirit into what he created. So is it so crazy that what you might create and what you might fashion out of your passion and connection in his presence could release and attract the favor of God in your life and in the people around you? Is it crazy to imagine that the songs you write, the stories you tell, the paintings you make, the, even the, your approach to the way that you run your business? Is it possible that his presence would inhabit your business if you implemented a culture of worship, even under the, under the scene, in the ground, in the roots, where no one else can see it, that you're just in your building playing worship music and declaring? But is it possible that he would inhabit what you're creating? I think so. I think so. Because you were made in his image. You know that Jesus, he was a master storyteller, craftsman, creator, he told all, he, all of his messages were, were stories because stories were accessible to the masses. And then he entrusted us with stories that hold the keys to life and humanity flourishing through his word. So why are his stories so important to us and to him? Mike, it's like Michael Culliano said when he was here, he is his presence, but he is his word. In John 1, 1, it talks about in the beginning was the word, and the word was God and with God. You know that verse. Did you know that the first chapter of Genesis is written in the form of an archaic Hebrew poem? 
So the cadence and rhythm, the way that God spoke the world to being, it feels very close to a song. So is it possible that Jesus, who was the word, who created the world, spoken out of the mouth of God, is it possible that the first way that he revealed himself to the world and humanity was in the form of a song? I think it is. But you know, it's all about worship. When, when Jesus was tempted by the devil, he took him up to the high place. He said, I will give you all of the kingdom's authorities and splendor because it's been given to me and I can give it to anybody that I want to if you'll fall down and worship me. That is how powerful worship is. So what is God looking for throughout biblical history? And so now he's looking for worshipers. So why, why is the spiritual rhythm of worship so important in our current cultural storm? And this is my favorite quote from William Blake. It says, we become what we behold. Can I ask you a question? What did you dream about when you were, when you were a kid, about becoming? I want you to think about that. I was dreaming about being a pastor until I was 11 years old, and I saw the movie Armageddon, and I wanted to work on an oil rig. If you know me, you know how hilarious this is. <laughs> I don't know anything about oil rigging or drilling or whatever it is that they do. I just wanted to be Bruce Willis. And two years later, I recorded a, uh, a pop album on a cassette tape. Had my mom take pictures and everything. I recorded um, anything, everything from Shania Twain to Savage Garden and Bon Jovi. If I could find that tape, I would never let you hear it. I'd just burn it. So what's the common thread, though, as a young teenager that made me adjust my call and pivot away from what God was saying? It's not a really uniquely different answer. Um, it was the movies and the music I was listening to. Here's some of the top shows in the past three years. One's called Lucifer, literally the devil. 13 Reasons Why, Game of Thrones. I was waiting for that one. Do any of these programs reflect anything godly at all? And would they contribute to seeing God more clearly? Nope. Did you know? Listen to me here. Right now, according to Nielsen ratings, adults are spending more than 11 hours a day on screens. 11 hours a day. Teens are spending 10 hours a day. A typical teenager is going to be exposed to over 32,000 hours of media content, and it's increasing in the time of their life. A report by J. Walter Thompson Group said that 48% of Gen Z is the only pocket that identifies as heterosexual. More than a third of teens today are saying that they're bisexual. 70% are comfortable with same-sex relationships, and 69% say it's okay to be a gender and feel another. Romans 12, 1 through 2, those are just facts. Just letting them out into the atmosphere. Those are, you can look them up yourself later. Romans 12, 1 through 2 says, what should our proper response to God's marvelous mercies be? To surrender yourselves to God and his sacred living sacrifices and live in holiness, experiencing all the delights of his heart. For this becomes your genuine expression of worship. So worship's also surrender, huh? Stop imitating the ideals and the opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. And this will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful, satisfying, and perfect life in his eyes. We're becoming what we behold, right? Jesus even said in John chapter 4 that 
there was a time coming when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. So in a relationship, let's say you and I are best friends. Everyone in the room, you're my best friend from this moment on. You ready? You get to be you, and I get to be me. And I'm going to manage my freedom in a way that protects our connection. So to worship in the spirit and truth means I will manage my freedoms that I could do whatever I wanted to honor the values that are important to God. I will live in holiness and righteousness to protect my relationship and connection with him. But I got to be real. Holiness and righteousness, totally mislabeled by the world and some people in the church today. So in the world, what is holiness and righteousness? It's called judgment. It's called control. It's now also called intolerance. You're not allowed to have an opinion if it, if it disagrees. It's intolerant and unloving. But some in the church, now I'm not saying the whole church, but some in the church would label it as legalism. Now, let me explain something to you. I'll get on my soapbox for two seconds about this. Just two seconds, I promise, but I'm super passionate about this. Um, let me explain something to you. I am the church. You are the church. So I got to be honest, on my social media feed, I see a lot of people who like to go on social media rampages about how the church isn't doing this or the church isn't doing that. And we need to remember two things when you see those posts roll up on your feed or if you're considering writing one. One, that's Jesus' bride. We must respect his bride in her entirety, meaning that we cannot say that the organized church is not part of the bride's body and therefore criticize destroy and try to misidentify her. And number two, it might feel really powerful and great to be on the high horse of criticism, but it doesn't exclude you from the family. So those on social media who love to criticize churches and leaders, if you're watching, hi. I want to let you know that you might as well be stomping on your own two feet because it's the body of Christ. And if God has given you a call or a platform, then talk about that. Stop trying to give validity to what you're doing by tearing down an organization or someone who's doing something to advance the message of Jesus. So, off my soapbox. Off. Okay. So having a strong, are we good? Everybody feeling good? Is that good? Sorry. I'm just super passionate about that, you know? Like, and it, drib it dribbles into my personal life, too. I feel like if someone's really fantastic, like if I looked in the front row and I looked at Erica and I said, Erica, you are an incredible worship leader. I don't feel like I have to compare her to Rachel. I can say you are an incredible worship leader because you are incredible. I don't need to defame somebody else to lift her up or make her feel good. So, sorry guys, I have 11 pages. I just have so much. <laughs> All right, but so why is having a strong rhythm of worship critical to your ability to release his presence effectively? Because we are in a culture war where one of the most effective weapons against biblical standards is to redefine God's standards for morality and holiness. Now, there are a lot of articles. I'm dipping back in. I'm sorry. I know I promised I wouldn't, but I am. Here we go. There are a lot of articles and conversations trying to argue that sex outside of marriage is not explicitly forbidden in the Word of God and a complete vacuum when it comes to the issue of sexuality and marriage and family life. So this absence of a healthy sexuality in marriage basically reinforces the response that is hostile towards the biblical view. And it can't compete. We, it just can't compete with the overload of information. I want you to think right now, how many shows that you watch or music that you listen to or books that you read that have graphic sexual content in them? I'm sorry, I'm just saying it. 
Think about that. We need to be aware that those who are trying to update God's standards, that if you're starting to feel like, I kind of agree with that, you should be able to do whatever you want, and Jesus is forgiving, and there's grace. I, I got to tell you, you're being manipulated because you're not updating God's standards of purity because um, you are culturally evolving and becoming a more progressive, inclusive human. Your fascination with it isn't rooted in, in, just, in sex. It's rooted in money. Chris Valentin said the greatest promoters of the world's version of sex are actually businessmen who are making billions from it. And virginity and marriage hurts their bottom line. And that's why you have such a huge swing in culture right now, basically taking music and, and, and romance and love and marriage and perverting it because it, suits, it serves a bottom line. So why are so many Christians deconstructing their faith? Why are we beginning to believe that the Bible is outdated and out of step? Because there's this strategic attack on your connection with God. Because, and get this, the reason why there is such an attack on your connection with God is because if you are connected and engaged in a lifestyle of worship, no weapon, no strategy can defeat you. You become an unstoppable carrier of God's glory. And did you know that he's never lost a battle? So if you start to engage in worship, you become unstoppable. So here's just a few goals. I don't have time for all these, but I wanted to read a few of these. You might remember some of these from when Danny Silk was here at the Holy Spirit Conference. But um, these are uh, goals outlined from 1963's, the uh, Naked Communists. So number one goal, infiltrate the press, gain control of book review assignments, editorial writing, and policymaking positions. Gain control of TV, check. Continue discrediting American culture by degrading all forms of artistic expression. An American communist self, get this, it was told to eliminate all good sculpture from parks and buildings, substitute shapeless, awkward, and meaningless forms. Anybody ever been in a third world country before? What do the buildings look like? Are they beautiful? No. Um, control art critics and directors of art museums. They said the goal was to promote ugliness, repulsive, and meaningless art. If you've been to an art museum lately, were you very inspired when you saw the modern art? Maybe some of you, but most of us be like, no, no. My kid could do that. That's what we say. <laughs> I know I'm not refined. Sorry. <laughs> um, eliminate all laws governing obscenity, calling them censorship and a violation of free speech and free press. Break down cultural standards of morality by promoting pornography and obscenity in books, magazines, motion pictures, TV, and radio. Check, check, check. Present homosexuality, degeneracy, promiscuity as normal, natural, and healthy. Now, these are goals from a book. I'm not saying all these things just off the cuff. This is from 1963. Goals that they had set. Infiltrate the churches and replace revealed religion with social religion. <sighs> Discredit the Bible and emphasize the need for intellectual maturity. Eliminate prayer or religious expressions in schools or in the grounds that it violates separation of church and state. Is this sounding familiar to you? Discredit the American Constitution by calling it awkward, old-fashioned, inadequate, and out of step with modern needs, a hindrance to cooperation between nations on a worldwide basis. I feel like I read that yesterday. Um, dis discredit the American Founding Fathers. Present them as selfish aristocrats who had no concern for the common man. And lastly, discredit the family as an institution, encourage promiscuity, and easy divorce. Does it sound like some or all of these goals have been accomplished? 
You are the answer. Not, I'm not talking to the group right now. I'm talking to each one of you individually. You, you're the answer. Your awakening, you, is the hinge that all of heaven is cheering for. It says in Hebrews 11, I want to read this to you. I heard this in a service maybe 20 years ago, and I've never been the same. It was talking about the heroes of the faith. It said, these heroes, through faith, subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, and escaped from the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight to the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. But others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trials of mockings and scourgings and chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, sawn in two, tempted, slain, afflicted, tormented. People of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all of these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God, having provided something better, he's talking about us, better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God. There is a cloud in heaven watching you. It says that they're all, they're all standing there. They're all just looking at you right now, even in this room this morning. They finished their race. They pass the baton and they're, they're leaning over the edge and saying, finish what we started. You're the answer. It said people of whom the world was not worthy. I believe sitting in this room this morning and online, there is something inside of you that if you would allow the breath of God to on it, you would be one of those people that the world was not worthy. Would you just close your eyes for a moment? We're creating a spiritual rhythm of worship. Every eye close is my favorite thing to do. If you looked at your life this morning, if you were honest and you said, if you looked at the behaviors and the fruit and it doesn't reflect heaven, and if you were to examine your heart right now and you feel far from God, right now is your moment. If you'd like to give your heart to Jesus, I wanna invite you to just stand up on your feet. If your heart is far from him, I'm patient, I like this. This is my favorite part. Cause we know what's on the other side. We know what's on the other side of your yes. 
He's got such big dreams and plans for you. Don't miss a moment. And if you'd like to recommit your heart to Jesus, this is good. I do this a lot. If it's you, stand up with me. Come on. Don't be shy. Stand up on your feet. You want to recommit your life to Jesus, that you've allowed your love and your first love to grow cold. Let's give it all back to him together. Hmm. First love or no love. All right. Let's pray together. Put your hand over your heart if you're standing. Father, in Jesus' name, God, I pray that we would just submit our hearts. We give it all to you today. Jesus, I pray that if there's been areas of compromise, if there's been areas that we have fallen out of rhythm with your presence in your worship, God, would you come in right now in your mercy and your love and, and, and make hearts whole again today. Make our hearts full of your presence today. In Jesus' name, amen love to invite our ministry teams to come forward. And if you have patience for me for one more thing, this is going to be really good. Um, I would like you just to stand up on your feet with me today. And um, if you want to commit to a strong spiritual rhythm of worship, we're going to begin your first, uh, your first step in that as we exit out today. I want you to close your eyes, turn your face up towards heaven, and I want you to begin to just open your mouth, and I want you to sing, even if you can't sing, even if your voice is um, off-key and uncomfortable. I want you to put your hands out, and I want you to sing. We're going to do this for just 15 seconds, and then I'm going to bless you, and you're going to get on with our day, and the Lord's going to follow you out and continue to do things in you. So all over this room, on the count of three, I want you to lift up your voice in one, two, three. Sing it out. Jesus, oh Jesus, come and touch hearts this morning. You're the faithful one, oh, so worthy of our worship, so worthy of our praise. You're the worthy one. You did great. Father God, in the, in the name of Jesus, I just bless everyone here at Bethel Cleveland Church that you would fall into a rhythm of spiritual worship that would transform your life, that you would experience and know the presence of God in deeper ways that maybe you've never experienced, that you would hear his voice in your dreams. And when you lay in your bed at night, that you would sense the closeness of the presence of God. And that when you walk out these doors, that you would carry something different, a new bounce in your step, a new rhythm in the way that you're moving, because God has just put you into the slipstream of his spiritual rhythm of worship and your life's about to change and the lives of your friends and family are about to change because there's a new wind blowing and there's a new rhythm coming and you're never going to be the same in jesus name if you agree say amen Amen. Hey, we have our ministry teams up here ready to pray for you. If you'd like some specific prophetic ministry, um, they are trained and at the ready to give you uh, prophetic words.